Today I talked to the CEO of Mintable, who invented many of the innovations in the NFT space. Zach, the CEO of Mintable, is a longtime crypto user and Solidity developer. Even though we talk about technical stuff, we always come back to the basics of how to make a great product around crypto. And that is always make sure that you pass the mom test, which is to make sure that your service is easy to use for normal people and not just for nerds. We also talk about why Zach is so bullish on the future of crypto and NFTs and also the future of the entire industry itself. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Kastoshi live stream. And today we have special guest, Zach from Mintable. Um, could you give us two minutes uh, just to explain what Mintable is? Yeah, thank you. Mintable is a NFT marketplace and one of the most powerful tools to mint NFTs. So if you're trying to create your first NFT, um, whether you have crypto or don't have crypto, it doesn't matter. You can go on Mintable. You can make an NFT on Ethereum. Uh, completely without any Ethereum needed, so no gas fees to mint. Um, or if you want to buy an NFT, of course, you can find any NFT um, that's on the blockchain and purchase it on Mintable. You can purchase it with credit card or with crypto if you have it. Um, and so we're a very beginner-friendly NFT marketplace and tool to get started in NFTs. Okay. Now, if it's okay, um, because we're in Europe here, a lot of... like. There's some people have heard of Mintable, but it's a lot bigger in Asia. Is that is that correct? Yeah, well, Mintable is one of the top 10 marketplaces. So we have over a million users. Uh, we've been around since 2018. So we're quite big all around. A lot of people um, <clears throat> who you might know as extremely famous or some of the, the most uh, revenue generating artists in the space. I don't want to name off some people uh, have started their journey on Mintable. They started with their first NFTs on Mintable and now they're making you know, 20, 50, $100 million in NFTs. Um, and a lot of people start their journey with Mintable, obviously because we've been around for so long. Back in 2018, we were the only platform to create an NFT. Um, and now we, we've changed a lot, right? We're a completely open marketplace. You can buy an NFT. Um, so we've got a lot of users from around the world. Our number one demographic actually is the US. Um, so surprisingly, not Asia, but the U.S. And that's where most NFT activity actually is globally is from the U.S. Mm. Okay, okay. Um, I think um, when you're talking about gasless NFTs, I think one of the things that struck me about Mintable was a lot of innovations in the NFT space have actually come from your company. Is, is that correct? Yeah. Could you go through a few of them? Yeah, so, you know, actually way back in like 2018, I created the first batch mintable NFT, which means that you can mint multiple NFTs in a single transaction. Uh, at the time, it was limited to like 40. Now you can do up to 5,000 in a single transaction. Um, so we created the first batch mintable NFT. And I like to say, if you've interacted with the NFT on Ethereum, you probably interacted with code that I've written. Uh, because later we ended up, you know, the Ethereum Foundation reached out to me um, and they asked for us to work on uh, a standard for royalties. So I created the, uh, the royalty standard on Ethereum, which is ERC-2981. Um, that is the official standard for handling royalties for non-fungible tokens and other assets. Um, and so other marketplaces that will support on-chain royalties support that standard from us. Uh, we created the first DAO that runs off of NFTs. And so we, you know, we looked at like Uniswap and Compound and we said, okay, these DAOs run off of a token. How can we run this off of NFTs instead? Um, we created gasless minting, which is our proprietary technology, which allows for you to mint an NFT on Ethereum with no gas fees at all. And no one pays those gas fees. It's not deferred. It's not lazy minting. We don't pay the gas fees. Um, there is just no minting fee at all. And there's no downside. It's a real NFT. It's on Ethereum. It's not custodial. It's not a layer two. It's in your wallet. And the instant you mint it with zero fees, you can do whatever you want with it, right? You could trade it, sell it, burn it, whatever. Um, so yeah, we've done a lot of innovation. We were the first marketplace to allow messaging. Uh, we're the only marketplace that allows for you to advertise your NFTs across the platform. Um, and in our next version, we have some really cool stuff that no one else has done before either. So we're continuing to innovate. It's something that we, we really love. And we're very passionate about NFTs. And we understand that you know, we're laying the bricks on the road that is the history of NFTs. And so when someone in 10 years walks down the path of NFTs, if we choose to take a right or a left, 
and we lay those bricks, then other people will walk down that path and they'll go right or left. So we literally are laying the foundation for the future. Um, and we recognize this. And so we try to be as innovative as possible. And we try to push the NFT space forward um, in the best way possible. Okay, thanks for that. Um, now, if I'd like to take a step backwards. Now, when you like when someone says NFT t to me, it always means something different depending on who's saying it. So could you like give uh, a definition of what you think an NFT is? Yeah. Um, though, I mean, I always say it's a digital item that lives on the blockchain, right? Um, and depending on who I'm talking to, I'll say it differently, right? If I'm talking to a developer, I'll say something different than if I'm talking to my mom. Um, but if I'm talking to my mom, you know, I'll tell her, you know, it's kind of like a Pokemon card, but it's on the internet. And um, if she still doesn't get it, then I'll start, I'll start asking her questions. And so something I like to say is if um, uh, like I'm talking to my mom, I'll say, mom, if you have a picture of me and you're the only person that has that picture on their computer, how do you prove that? How do you prove that no one has that file? Um, and she can't. And I say, but if it was an NFT, it's in your wallet and you're the only person that has that item in your wallet and you can prove it. And if you transfer it to someone or give it to someone, you can prove they're the only one that has that. Ah, so uh, the mom test, the yeah, mom test. I like it. <laughs> yeah, that's the goal, right? If my mom can do it, then anyone can do it. Okay. Um, I, I think w one of the big differences between yourself and a lot of other crypto people in the space is you've actually written a lot of solidity. And, um, yeah. and so could you go back and maybe tell us your story of um, first how you got into crypto and then how you got to start Mintable. Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I got into crypto a long time ago. So 10 years, uh, 10 years ago, I found Bitcoin. I found Bitcoin in 2012. Uh, I got really lucky, right? Uh, I've always been a nerd. I've always been, you know, uh, someone on the computer, um, you know, think of me as a basement dweller playing World of Warcraft, right? Uh, not, not that bad, but it, almost, mm -hmm. almost there, right? And um, so I found Bitcoin when I was just playing around the internet one day. Uh, and it was interesting. But that was it. It was interesting. I didn't really do much. I tried to mine it with the CPU miner, never got that working. Um, I started buying it on Mount Gox. You had to transfer digital gold from like Dwala. And it was a real pain in the ass. And ultimately, uh, you know, I went into the military and while I was in the military, I wasn't really involved in crypto too much. I had Bitcoin. I Which Bitcoin uh, country was this in? Which country was this? The, the U.S. Army. So oh, you in the U.S. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm American, right? And so I was in the U.S. Army. Um, and it, I was still buying crypto and trading it, but I wasn't involved in the community. When I got out of the military, I, you know, I told myself I'm going to be an entrepreneur um, and I'm going to start my own businesses. And. At the same time, I was getting more involved with crypto. In about 2015, late 2015, 2016, I decided to go full in on crypto. I converted all my Bitcoin over to Ethereum. I mean, at that point, I found Ethereum, right? And that's what convinced me to go all in is because it's all the potential. I did, saw it did, as the iPhone. Did you read the the white paper? Yeah, uh, yeah. I read okay. the white paper, the yellow paper. Um, and that was, that was really the moment is I realized that it is a smartphone and Bitcoin is like a rotary telephone. And there's so many applications that you can build on it. And I said, wow, this is really exciting. Um, and at the time I was, I was going to school for software development. Um, and I just realized that like at, when I was in class, I'd be learning like C++ or Java or whatever. And I'd be applying it to Solidity because I was also learning Solidity at the time. And I just realized it's like, I don't care about all this other stuff. I just want to do smart contracts. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I went full time. In 2015, 2016, started working uh, on different projects and writing, you know, token contracts and really simple stuff, making my own stuff. And um, 2017 rolls around and I found NFTs. And that's when, you know, everything kind of uh, changed, right? It wasn't a conscious decision, but I fell in love. Could I ask you this point? Up to 2017, did other people think you were mad doing this stuff? <laughs> um I, I mean, yes and no. I've always been kind of an eccentric person. Like when I was 16, I, I emailed Red Bull to try to sponsor me to climb Mount Everest. And I've never climbed back <laughs> before, right? So I've always kind of been a weirdo like that. Um, so people just looked at me like, ah, oh, that's your Zach doing what Zach does. Um, but when, when I started being really passionate about NFTs, yeah, a lot of people would be like, ah, NFTs are stupid. That's 
that's dumb. And, um, you know, I remember my, my, my friends telling me, uh, like last year, or the year prior, uh, um, that I had this ability to see the potential for NFTs really early on. And I was building before, you know, there was like a few thousand people, um, in NFTs across the entire globe. And I was, you know, that's when I was building Mintable. Um, and so again, I got lucky, uh, but I fell in love, right? I just thought it was really cool. There was a lot of potential. And um, so that's all I've done since 2017 is work on NFTs. I ended up making Mintable in 2018 and uh, the rest is history. So. Okay. Okay. And um, could you tell us a bit about um, the early journey of Mintable or, um, or, or, or may, maybe from, 20, from mid to late 2021 when you um onwards you know yeah um early on mintable was a tool it was just to create nfts right we weren't a marketplace um and it was just me running it um and so 2019 came and we ended up uh incorporating in singapore and started building up the team and started working on an open marketplace um and we launched that in 2020 and so we launched effectively you kind of like version two the, the the actual business the marketplace um in 2020 uh, we ended up raising a, a seed round and uh we we effectively launched january of 2021 right with our open marketplace and we went from zero users um to the end of the year i think we had 600,000 users at that time now we have over a million users um and we just blew up right because we offered a lot of functionality that no one else had and a lot of it was around gas and minting at the time mm -hmm. gas fees were very high and so allowing us to offer something like that was uh, very unique. And we we're the only place that offers it. We still are the only place that offers it on Ethereum. Okay. So, so I guess in these years, you've seen the evolution of not just crypto, but the NFTs and how they're used and what they mean to people. Could you say a little bit about how you see um, NFTs have changed in that time from just being seen as maybe JPEGs to something else? Yeah, actually... I would say it's the opposite. So early on, everyone had these ideas. So like I'm a, I'm a published author with the IEEE and I, I, my paper is on using NFTs for uh, the supply chain and food traceability. So you can track like strawberries or tomatoes mm. from the farm mm. all the way to your cable. Um, <clears throat> and one of my early projects that I was working on when I discovered NFTs was tracking sapphires through mm. you know the certificate of their GIA, certificate of the, the quality of the sapphire and everything and putting it on the blockchain. Mm. Um, and so early on, a lot of people had all these crazy ideas. They're using it, trying to get it, figure out how to use it for identity, um, trying right. to figure out how we can use it for IoT devices, how we can use it for deeds and properties and all sorts of uh, ownership stuff. Uh, and then we saw the um, average person come in and the average person came in for the JPEGs. And so what we saw was in the early 2018, 2019, even in late 2020s, there was a lot of utility but no adoption when we saw the adoption it was around the speculative assets of trading the jpegs and flipping the jpegs and all that blew up with people sell when people sold his piece for you know 69 million dollars that was the moment where people go oh my god i can make a lot of money doing this and everyone flocked to it trying to make a lot of money um and that's where we saw the rise of the the pfps the profile pictures the 10k projects with avatars um, and that's what really drove a lot of people for the speculative side because they're making a lot of money uh, and now we still have a lot of utility use cases, but most of the day-to-day -day activity is going to be on people trading and speculating um, to try to earn you know, some sort of economic value. Okay, so you're saying that it actually started, people were trying to get utility, and it ended up as JPEGs. <laughs> or, or, right. Yeah. Um, and we're still, we're, still, we're still looking for utility. We're still, there's still utility being made every single day with NFTs, and we're making progress. But <clears throat> things like identity deeds, mm. property, all these require a middleman, mostly a government agency. Mm. And so it's it's very hard and time consuming to get like a government agency to adopt NFTs for mm. your social security number or for mm. your driver's license. And so what we found was we just found consumers coming up with, you know, innovative use cases. Um, and now we have projects that are driving some of this innovation as well, where a project will release their 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 NFT, but it comes with you know, a pass to their club or it comes with all these different benefits that you can unlock. And, and so I think as time goes on, we'll slowly merge the two together where governments and agencies and companies around the world are seeing the power of NFTs and that utility will naturally come, right? Like Starbucks loyalty program is a great example 
where, you know, we were talking to Starbucks as well about trying to figure out how we can do this with them. And ultimately the, the route that they're taking by just having a normal loyalty points program and trying to abstract most of the blockchain away in the background, um, you know, that's an example of using NFTs for utility. And that's something that we always knew about since 2017, but you never would have, no company, you know, ever used NFTs in that case from 2017 till, till you know, 2020, really. Um, and so I think what we saw was we saw the people like me, the crypto people, the developers, they're like, oh, we can use this for identity. We can use this for all this stuff. Um, but the general populace didn't see that or didn't understand that. And then when the general populace came in, they ended up obviously using it for speculative reasons. And now companies are diving in and companies, some of them cannot have a investment purpose or vehicle or anything like that. And so they want to use it for the utility. And so now we're going back into that utility phase. And so I'm really excited for like the next few years because we're going to see a lot of really unique use cases. And this is actually, this is something we do on Mintology. So we have a, another brand called Mintology by Mintable, and it's a B2B SaaS that works with businesses, very large corporations around the world, such as like MasterCard, um, casinos, insurance companies, um, you name it. We've talked to a, a multi-billion dollar companies um, and they come to us and they say, hey, we want to use NFTs but we want to use it for settlements because we're a bank or we want to use it for insurance because we're for, set, for settlement. What, what would an NFT be used? Are you talking like with stable coins or, 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 or to market well, transaction? And think about all the documents that a bank may need um, and where they store those documents or how they store those documents. Mm. If you have this immutable record that can be tokenized, that allows for some benefits and some transparencies. And so there are some use cases where there's documents within a bank that may make sense to be an NFT. Um, and that allows for those documents to interact with other banks as well. So any kind of formal documentation, uh, documentation that would go from one bank to another bank, you know, potentially uh, the settlement of a wire transfer or things of that nature um, could be used as an NFT. Um, so it, the problem with that, though, comes down to the fees, right? Is what kind of fees are there to transfer that NFT? But, but uh, you could do that. Can you do that sort of thing gasless as well? Yeah. So one thing about gases is that it's only for minting. So what we've done is effectively, I'll list out some transactions, right? So you have a minting transaction where you create the NFT. Mm -hmm. And then if you sell that, that's a trade and that's a transaction. Or if you transfer it, that's a transaction. Right? So you have all these different transactions mm -hmm. for NFTs. We got rid of minting. So we just completely got rid of that. So that is no longer needed for minting. So if you want to trade it or sell it or do anything else, you still have to make a transaction. Mm -hmm. So we can issue millions of NFTs in a second to a million different addresses and they can immediately use them. And there's no gas fees to mint those, but as soon as someone wants to transfer it or sell it or buy it, they still have to pay a gas fee, right? Because it's still on the blockchain. And so we've only been able to get rid of the gas fee for minting. Uh, so I'm still trying to figure out how we do the, the transfers, mm -hmm. uh, but that's that's hasn't come to me yet. It's quite interesting because I've been learning solidities, especially this year. And now I'm starting to understand a lot of the deeper issues with blockchains. and. And I've um, considered doing some stuff with NFTs, but I've come across this issue with multiple chains and I'm like, hang on, if I make an NFT here, how do I make it um, so that it can work across the entire ecosystem? Do I use Cosmos? Will something else come along? And and quite soon the whole thing gets like too much for my for, for my head. So well, what's your thoughts on 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 people who who might want to go into nfts but then they go hold on a minute if i if i mint my nft here am i on a dead end technologically am, am i am i on like dos instead of windows or am i on like C, you know like um a, a dead yeah. path does that make sense the yeah, question I, yeah i understand i understand because picking the chain that you make your nft on is really important right and so if you are uh, a project or your artist and you pick the wrong chain, if there's not much activity on that chain, your chances are much lower. And some chains, some layer choose, what we'll see is that the same NFT basically goes for a fraction of the cost if it was launched on a layer two compared to if it was launched on mainnet Ethereum. And the reason why is because the reduction of fees, everything I've seen is cheaper. Um, and so if you look at like Polygon, for example, a lot of the NFTs that trade on Polygon are, if you look at the average price of NFTs mm. being traded, it's significantly less. It's only a fraction of what the average price is for Ethereum. And so very rarely will you ever find an NFT that I actually, I don't, I don't, 
I, I don't think I've ever heard of an NFT on a polygon that's traded for more than $10 million. And I would love to be proven wrong if, if there is anyone that can prove me wrong, shoot it to my Twitter. Um, but um, basically, you'll see that different chains have a different valuation for the assets, right? And so Solana, what I would say is the closest chain to Ethereum's price point, but you still only see things at a fraction of the cost. So it is important that you pick the right chain because if you pick a chain like Cardano, for example, which is it's basically a ghost chain, there's no activity, there's no smart contracts, um, at least not in the, the proper sense. Um, then if you make an NFT on that chain, your chances of selling it is a fraction of if it was on Ethereum. So you really always want to be on Ethereum for your NFTs, but then you go to your question, which is like, well, what about you know everyone else? Like what if they're on Solana or what if they're on Polygon? How do I get this to interact with all these other chains? And it is complicated. You have to use a bridge and a system like that. Um, but ultimately, I think it's really important that people understand that with Ethereum, you can always take something from Ethereum and put it on Solana because they've got a bridge, right? You can always take something from Ethereum and put it on Polygon, put it from uh, Ethereum to Avalanche because there's bridges for that. Mm -hmm. um, so I would always encourage someone to start on Ethereum, to utilize Ethereum, and then move to another platform with your project, another blockchain with your project um, as a uh, item in your roadmap to say, hey, we're starting on Ethereum. We have all of our items on Ethereum. And then, you know, next quarter, we're going to launch our bridge with Solana and you'll be able to put everything over on Solana, right? And, and then now you've got that Solana bridge and you have Ethereum and Solana, right? And then your next quarter, you release Polygon. And now you have all these interoperable chains that are working together, but your base collection still maintains its value on Ethereum. And then if someone wants to utilize a cheaper network, they're able to do so for that cheap fee and your item's value isn't affected by that, right? And so I think it's important. A lot of people don't know that. Okay, so are you saying, and this is where we're hitting the limits of my technical knowledge. So if I use something like Cosmos and IBC, is it not possible? I mean, I know there's the like ERC721 and there's a couple of the Ethereum standards for, for NFTs. But is there any sort of standard for a, for a cross-chain NFT? I don't know if there's a center for cross-chain NFT. You don't need a center for cross-chain NFT. What you need a center for is the bridge to do that. Now, the reason why I don't think, and I could be wrong, there's like, there's literally hundreds, if not thousands of standards for Ethereum now. Um, and there's like ton every single day, right? Some get proposed and never go anywhere. Some very quickly go somewhere. Um, so there could very well be this, uh, but NFTs don't need to have the standard, but the bridge itself needs to have the standard. And the reason that there's probably not a standard for how you would transfer an NFT via a bridge is because mm -hmm. if you want to do that on Solana, or if you want to do that on Cosmos or mm -hmm. Avalanche or Polygon, each one of those scenarios is going to be a different kind of setup. And so mm -hmm. to have a standard, which you know, think of a standard as like the plug in your wall, it's a standard mm -hmm. format. So mm -hmm. all the plugs always match. If, mm -hmm. if your house, Let's use my house is Ethereum and your house is Solana. So that means your power output is, let's say, 57 volts and mine is 120 volts. Mm. My plug is going to work fine. But if I go over to your house and try to plug it in, it's the same standard, but your voltage is different. It won't work, right? And so this is the problem that we get with standards across blockchains. It's something like Solana. Is, it, while it is EVM compatible, it operates in a very fundamentally different way. Mm. And so to create a standard on Ethereum for how you would interact with Solana is really not feasible and it would be specific for just solana so you'd have a, a standard mm. just for how to make a bridge for nfts on solana and when you do that ultimately you start getting into this area where standards don't cover standards are about a framework not implementation so you don't uh you don't include implementation code in the standard mm. but instead a a framework of how you uh let me give you an example so a car a car's got four wheels right that's a standard that's a framework now, whether those wheels are all all terrain or weather tires or mm. you know sports tires, mm. that's up to you. And that's the mm. implementation side of it, mm. right? Whatever wheels you want to put on your car. But the point stands is you still got four wheels, right? Mm. And so there's this difference with standards there uh, that uh, people that are new to standards don't really recognize them. They'll, they'll, for example, like the 721A, 721A is not a standard because it's purely implementation of how you implement batch minting uh, consecutive minting mm. um, whereas standards specifically are only about the functions and signatures uh, on solidity and not the implementation so the standard will say that mm. there is a batch mint function but mm. it doesn't tell you how to batch mint and 721a is all about how to batch mint 
right? Mm. So that's not a standard at all. And that will never be a standard because it goes against what a standard is, right? And so it's um, it's counterintuitive to say it's ERC 721A. Oh, I see. Okay. But but then but then what what about something like USDC? Because that works like um, cross chain. So um, USDC works cross chain, and anything can work cross chain. You don't need a standard for that because USDC is a product from a company, and so the product is the, the company has said that hey, we're going to support our product on Ethereum, and oh, we want to do it on Tether too. I mean, sorry, on uh, Solana too. And so if we're going to do it on Solana, what we're going to do is we're going to go build USDC on Solana. And then we will manage the the transfer of assets either via a bridge or via our own you know internal policies of how we want to do it. We'll mm-hmm. delete your USDC on Ethereum and we'll credit it over on Solana. However, they choose to do that. Oh, that's, okay. that's the company's you know purview, and, and they decide that. So it's not a standard, so to speak. It's just how the company would choose to facilitate that. Okay, but but this is interesting because because when we think of crypto, like a lot of people think of stuff like usdc as crypto even though it's kind of centralized but is there a chance that google or microsoft or someone will come along and make a standard for nfts and just put it onto every different smart contract or onto ethereum polygon is that possible no no it's not possible because uh the functionality of each blockchain and how they interact with smart contracts or execute the code of smart contracts is different the way that cosmos will execute uh, a transaction is different than how you would do it on Ethereum, which is how is different than how you would do it on Solana, right? Mm-hmm. And so what this ultimately means is that if <clears throat> Google, Facebook, Microsoft, if they came out and they said, hey, you know what, this is how we think the NFT should be uh, standardized of how you should trade an NFT or whatever. If a Solana transaction requires a different parameter or a different signature or a different flow, instead mm-hmm. of signing a message, maybe you have to send it very cheap transaction or something like that, then that would break that standard, right? And so it's it's very difficult to to standardize that because also what happens if a new chain comes up with a completely different kind of standard uh, or uh, process of uh, handling computation on smart contracts instead of the EVM, right? The mm-hmm. standard won't really work with that chain. Um, so n- no, I wouldn't, we've already got a standard for 720 for NFTs, it's ERC mm-hmm. 721, and we've already got that. Um, so if a company like Google or Facebook uh, they wanted to say, hey, here's a standard way of how you would transfer NFT between two different blockchains. They could lay out that framework uh, and potentially they could, they could say, hey, this is how we think all bridges should operate as a core fundamental level. Uh, but again, it's a core fundamental level. It's not the implementation mm. level, right? You can okay, modify sure. it slightly. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so so if you look at, so I know the questions are getting very technical now, but um, this is for some of it's for my understanding as well. So if you look at 721, if someone wanted to evolve that and say, we want to introduce the concept of fractional ownership, is that possible? Yeah, yeah, you could do that. And uh, so I'll give you an example. It's kind of what we do with the royalty center, right? So ERC-2981 works off of 721, right? It's, it's, mm. it's very important that it does that. And what we've done is we've added an extra field called uh, royalty information. So basically... Mm you will pass in what is the token and how much is it being purchased for. Mm. And then that contract will say, hey, that token's got a 10% royalty. So if it's being purchased for $100, you owe us $10 to this person's address, Mm. right? And so it will will return, hey, $10 to this address. And Mm. that means that that, that, that exchange will send $10 to that specified address. Mm. Uh, So we already have that in some sense where you will explain there's an extra function for fractionalized NFT or get the fractionalized ownership. What's the percentage of who owns what of this mm. NFT, right? Mm. And I think actually, I, I'm pretty sure, uh, I'm almost like 100% sure that there is a standard for fractionalized NFTs, or at least I know that there are 100%, I know that one has been proposed, if not multiple, because I've mm. seen it. Um, the, the problem with fractionalizing NFTs though, is fractionalization of NFTs means security. And if it's a security, there's different laws and jurisdictions that, that laws apply to, right? Mm-hmm. So like in America, the security laws are very different than if you're in Estonia, for example. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is you're basically trying to build a technology standard around government policies, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. That, that's very hard to do, right? Because you don't know what's going to happen next week if all NFTs are labeled as a security by the US, mm-hmm. but not everywhere else in the world. 
So fractionalization standards, you can do it from a technological standpoint, but to do it from a regulatory standpoint, you're only going to be able to do it for U.S. or Canada or a specific country or a specific jurisdiction and not the entire globe just because you're dealing with governments and regulations and things mm. like that. Uh, so there are there are standards for fractionalization. There's standards for like, I think, renting NFTs um, mm. and things like that. I don't know if any of them have been finalized and adopted as the official, um, but they are out there. Um, the problem is, though, is either it goes into implementation of, hey, the SEC requires yeah. this much information. Mm. So we're going to put that in there um, and it doesn't cover all the other jurisdictions. Okay, I think I think I've I've probably lost half the audience by diving into the technical details too much. So, okay, so if we go back to um, um, uses of NFTs, so there'll be stuff like token gating. I mean, I personally think that using an NFT as a ticket it, it makes a lot of sense. And but like, what do you think is the next big use cases of NFTs? Hmm. So I don't think there's one big use case. And this is like what Mintology does is we work with very large multi-billion dollar companies. We say, what are you trying to do? Oh, your MasterCard. Okay. What are you trying to do? And so I'll give you an example. Like we were, we're, we're working with MasterCard on a lot of different fronts, but one of them is for a conference that they're throwing where we will be giving away um, not tickets, but kind of proof of attending, but also a scavenger hunt, right? So you'll go in, you get a ticket when you land, when you get in the gates, and then as you go around, you'll collect all the different ones. And if you collect all of them, then you get a special one at the end kind of thing, right? And that's to incentivize you to explore the conference, mm. right? And so that's very similar to a ticket. You very easily can make that a ticket where you just, you know, when you sign up for the conference, you send them this NFT and then they show the, the door to get mm. in. Um, on the flip side, I mentioned banks, you know, potentially using it for documentation. Um, insurance companies could be using it. Uh, casinos can be utilizing it. Mm. Manufacturing, you know, whether it's a car manufacturer or clothing manufacturer, whatever it is, could utilize NFTs in a lot of ways. So I don't think there's one specific thing that NFTs are going to be used for in the future. I think what you're going to see and what I've been saying for quite a long time now is we won't see mass adoption of NFTs until my mom is slapped in the face everywhere <laughs> she goes with the NFT. When she mm. walks into Starbucks and she sees an NFT, and then mm. she goes to McDonald's and sees the NFT, and then she goes to Walmart mm. and sees the NFT, eventually she's going to get an NFT, right? And she's mm. going to start using that NFT in some way, shape, or form. And whether it's a loyalty program with Starbucks, or whether it's a coupon at Walmart, or whether it's a ticket for a Madonna concert that she's going to go to, whatever that may be, uh, NFTs have a very powerful ability to mold themselves into whatever use case is needed. Um, it's very similar to an email, right? An email could be fun, business. Mm. It could be, you know, aggressive. It could be all sorts mm. of different things. Mm. So it, the technology itself is very vague. And that means that since we're at this, this point where we have so many people with their eyes on NFTs and so many companies diving in, we are just going to see so many variations come out that uh, <laughs> in the next few years, you're just going to be like, blown away at all the different nft use cases that are out there we've seen cars being sold as nfts properties nfts mm. art being fractionalized like van gogh paintings as nfts uh, but then we've also seen you know comedy tickets and and, and concert tickets um and the, and the list goes on and on so i don't think it's going to be one particular thing at all i think i think we're moving away from the speculative assets and we're getting into the utility where starbucks nfts probably not going to be traded for hundreds of millions of dollars. There might be a few that are very valuable, mm. but the 99% of them probably won't be traded for really anything. You're just going to keep it in your Starbucks app and, and you're going to mm. check it out whenever you get your coffee. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Okay, so I'd like to go back to Mintable as a company now. So if you could sum up, like it's difficult now because I know in the whole market we're in this like bear market and, you know, as soon as you mention, like, as soon as I mention crypto to someone, someone says, oh, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay, yeah. And uh, yeah. and so how would you sum up the, like, Mintable up to now? And then how would you sum up what you think the future holds going forward a few years? Yeah, so I've been in crypto for a while. Um, what that means is I've seen a lot of dips. I've seen a lot of cycles. Um, I've seen a lot of bear markets, a lot of bull markets. Um, and I've, I've literally been there, uh, you know, since like 2013 of 
being like trading in and in, in really in the weeds, uh, understanding what's going on and staring at charts and, and you know, just trading. Um, with that knowledge and experience, I have a different outlook than a lot of people who might be new to crypto. And maybe this is their first cycle of going through a bear market or a bull market. Um, so I know that it's a, a cycle and that it, a cycle repeats. So while we may be in a down period now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know we're going to stay in this down period and crypto is dead or NFTs are dead. Uh, most definitely not the case. And so Fermentable as a company, uh, we're, we're absolutely fine, right? We're not laying off people. We're hiring people. Uh, we're not in financial distress. You know, we, we haven't overextended ourselves or invested into, you know, things that we shouldn't have invested into. We continue to build and continue to operate. And whether or not the market turns around next month or in six months, we'll be fine and we'll be around. Uh, and this is because obviously I've had the, the foresight of, of knowing all the things I've learned over the years of how crypto operates and how to make sure that we're able to stay afloat. Uh, on a personal level, over the years, my you know my net worth has fluctuated up and down based off the crypto you know whims of whatever it wants to do, but it's consistently grown in terms of the 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 value overall because I consistently understand that I want to continue having this asset. And this asset is going to, it's my retirement fund. So I don't need to look at it now. What it did today, I don't know. I don't know what Ethereum or Bitcoin did today. I'm not looking at the chart today. I look at the chart on a monthly basis and I say, okay, what has it done in the last five months? What's it going to do for the next five months? What's it going to do for the next year? What's the next three quarters look like? And so I used to day trade and that was a horrible mistake. Now <laughs> I'll make, uh, I make about five trades a year. Um, and the trades that I make a year are, um, just a lot of people, I have a, I have a, I have a private trading group that I'm a part of, and I've been in this group for, for, I think four or five years now. And so they all know me, we all know each other. It's a very small group. Um, and <clears throat> what, uh, what I'll do is I'll, like, I sold my ETH at 3,600 when it, when it topped out around 4,000 and I sold my ETH at 3,600. I said, guys, this is, I, I think we're near the top. I'm going to sell all my ETH. So I sold all my ETH at 3,600. And I set my buys for 18 and 1600 and I waited and I waited and I waited. And my group is like, you they're making fun of me. They're saying, you know, it goes up to 4,000 and all this stuff. And then it just plummets. Right. And it just continues to plummet. And on that day, when it, when it dropped, I think it dropped all the way like 1800 or it was somewhere in the thousands. Hmm. Um, my, my buys hit and it took, you know, like, I don't know if you look at the chart, however many months it was or how many weeks it was. Um, and I am very patient. And I think that that's something that, you know, people have to understand about both NFTs and crypto is that you have to have conviction and understand what you're investing in and be patient for it. If you've invested in the right thing, if you invested into a brand new altcoin, uh, you don't, you don't want to be patient for that. Right. Uh, and altcoin is not a kind of thing that you're patient for. Bitcoin is something that you're patient for because ultimately in 10 years, it's going to go up in value. In 10 years, we don't know if that altcoin is going to be around, right? So it's important that you put your money in something that is going to be around and then that you're patient for your convictions. And if your convictions prove to be wrong, you also have to recognize that as well, right? And so all of that comes back into running a crypto business and understanding you know, how the crypto markets are and understanding what you need to do and be prepared for um, and how you have to operate. Okay, so it sounds like you're, you're very much personally in it for the long term. And you have a long-term mindset yeah. because, um, I mean, I, I've had a lot of crypto companies who've approached me and so fast I can see that the founders are just in it to make a quick buck. Yeah. And it's that's, so that's the number one red flag. If someone is like, oh, I got into crypto last year. Now I'm starting a Web3 company. I, I'm just like immediately like turned off by that. I, I just say, well, that doesn't make sense. Because like I wouldn't join, you know, spacex for a year and then go make a space company right that's just not how you would do it in the real world you don't join a bank for a year and then make a bank mm -hmm. um, that's just not how it, it works and so when people do that especially if they're doing something uh, that doesn't have product market fit uh, mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that just jump on a hype cycle and this is something that i learned in 2016 with the ico boom was that you you get a few people who know what they're doing in the beginning and they start becoming an advisor for ICOs. You start telling me which ICOs to get into, mm -hmm. right? 
And then everyone else goes, oh, these guys are making all this money. Let me go. I'm now an ICO advisor. I'm going to go market your ICO. And, and it's like, when did you get into crypto? Oh, three months ago. Oh, and you're an ICO advisor. Oh, okay. Cool. Cool. Right. Because <laughs> you know, they're just jumping on the hype trade. Um, so it's something that you, you learn to pick up and, and I would encourage anyone, uh, who is in the crypto space. First off, I mean, look, if you're, if you're new to the crypto space and you want to, uh, start a company in the crypto space, go for it. But you have to understand too, that you will look like a fool if you're brand new to the space. If you joined the space six months ago and you're trying to make a company, it is very obvious to people that have been in the space. And if you ever talk to, uh, if you're trying to raise capital from someone who's been in the space, like if you go to a crypto fund. They're going to grill you and they'll realize like, hey, this person's brand new. They don't know what they're talking about. Um, and so I would recommend most people, as you would with, with any industry, um, to be in the industry for a while before you try to make that leap of faith and try to start raising and fundraising. But it also goes back to, to VCs and, and different investors, too. We've seen billions of dollars being thrown at different NFT investments. And I saw, I saw a tweet today. It was from 2020 to 2021. There are 30 companies that have made, I think it was less than 10 million in revenue and they're valued over a billion dollars. Oh, wow. And the person's <laughs> like, like wreck VCs, right? Because mm. all these VCs have hyped up this valuation, but there's actually, you know, uh, the company itself isn't at that point. Uh, so I think it, it's important that, that VCs also recognize this as well. And investors realize that, hey, this guy is brand new to crypto. Uh, and you know, maybe I, I, I should be a little bit more scrutinizing with my due diligence here, uh, instead of just throwing money at, at you know, any good idea that comes up, uh, it just, you know, it doesn't work that way. There's a, a project today that just announced that they were shutting down, uh, after they launched in May and they're already shutting down, uh, May of this year because they ran out of runway and they didn't reach product market fit. Uh, and to me, I just, I don't understand how that happens. Like for me to this year, it's just a very short time. I think, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, that's interesting because I mean, both traders and entrepreneurs, they come to me and they say, what's the big thing? How do I make money in crypto? And I can remember when I was the idiot saying that to people. Um, And my advice is learn solidity. Yeah, that's how, you know. That's I mean, it was a time I didn't even know MetaMask, and I think <laughs> it's a difficult thing because in crypto, these these two these two opposing forces. One is you have to dive deep to understand how it works. The second is you have to pass the mum test to make sure it's actually something right. people want. Um, but as soon as I say it, people say, no, "Just tell me the token name," and I say, "I say I'm telling you how you can guarantee yourself to make tons of money," but people don't want to do it. And but the, but the, I mean, it, I started learning solidity when I started hearing about billionaires who are learning it, and I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. hang on a minute, okay, this isn't um, just something that nerds are learning. Yeah, this is something that that you know you actually need to understand this level of complexity, like the early internet, to be in there. But is that same advice that I'm giving people, or am I expecting too much? No, that's great advice because that's a really good way that like if you looked at my code that i wrote in 2016 just with your level of understanding of solidity you probably look at that and go oh man this guy's like brand new to solidity right because i was brand new to solidity and you can recognize that but if you didn't know any solidity you want to be able to recognize that so that's a great way to really um cut through the weeds and see the actual implementation and say okay you're talking all this tall talk let me see your code let me look at your code and then, um, I, do, I, do I have to share it with you? You know, if they're hesitating about it, then maybe there's some red flags that go off. And if you finally look at it and you go, man, this is junk, that can help you out greatly with the process of deciding whether or not this is a company that, you know, I want to partake in or if this is a company that I want to invest in. And the same goes just for a normal person. If a normal person is looking to invest in a project, you can go and dive into their code to some degree if it's a token on Ethereum. And if not, mm-hmm. then you might have to change a little bit of, of you know, you might have to go learn a new language, but it's all very similar. Um, and you can look at it and then you know at a fundamental level, the technology and how it operates. And so there's a lot of projects out there. Um, I'll give you an example, buy now, pay later. So I was looking into different buy now, pay later companies and I was looking at how they implemented it. And uh, as I would talk to different companies and, and every company I talked to had a different way of implementing it. And they're all really novel solutions. And uh, even the way I was going to implement it was very different than everyone else. 
And uh, they're all novel solutions because there's no right way to do it. But as I would talk to people, I would say, I would see something and they'd be like, yeah, buy now, let's pay later is to get normal people into crypto. And so what we've done is we've created a liquidity pool with an AMM token. And what you're going to do is you're going to invest in this token and then wrap it over into this pool. And then finally you can do buy now, pay later. And I'm like, bro, isn't this supposed to be for everyday people? My mom's not going to do that. She doesn't know any of that is. And so you immediately can recognize the technology and you go, that's not going to work at all. You're trying to target moms and you're building a finance application that a banker can't even mm. use, right? Mm. And you understand, like, you're like, well, look, if you're going to do a pool with liquidity and have a token and an AMA or an AMM, sorry, uh, an AMM, um, then you're you're not doing what you said you're doing. And you understand that that's probably not going to work out the way that you think it's going to work out, right? And so I think it is really important that you understand the technology at a very fundamental level so that you can vet ideas and say, look, I am going to challenge your thesis here. And I don't think this is going to work. Yeah, I think that was something which um, it kind of... Um tripped me up in the early days because i'd see these really really fantastic sounding projects but to do it i had to read through like five pages of documentation and and sign like 10 transactions which i had no idea what they were doing and i was like okay this is just not going to work and it still seems to be in that phase um i'd like to now move on oh go on well so that's something that you you mentioned earlier which is you were saying it doesn't pass the mom test and we're still in that phase of first you didn't know MetaMask and now MetaMask is too complicated for the mm. mom. One of the things that I've got to bring up here is, is and this is similar to email, right? We always correlate this to email in the early 90s and how do you send mm. an email? Mm. The thing was though, that was in the 90s when they had those videos of how to send an email. Mm. Mm. And then it was only a few years later that email was very easy to use, very, mm. very obvious. Anyone can write an email mm. and it's been a few years. MetaMask has been around for almost six years now i think mm. and has it been any easier for my mom no not really right like we mm. haven't seen the innovation because there is a core fundamental level of, of difference that things are going to be different to some degree and we just won't be able to get the same user experience really without trade-offs on the mm. flip side you have people that are new to the space because it's such a nascent industry and they're so excited about the technology they are a technologist and they build it for themselves where they mm. sign 10 transactions and they understand what's going on. Mm. And they're just blind to the aspect that, hey, this fails that email test, that mom test. This, is, this isn't going to be able to get to that point of anyone can use it because it's so technically complicated. Mm. And it's not until I think that you get to like my point where you've been in the space for so long and I've seen all these different variations and modifications and, and, and growing within the space that I can step back and I can say, okay, here's what we're trying to do. How can I achieve this in the easiest way possible for my mom? Mm. And there's mm. always trade-offs. There's always trade-offs. You're always going to compromise security or decentralization or being your own bank or privacy mm. to be able to offer that experience for my mom. Mm. Um, and it's just weighing those trade-offs and having that experience of being able to say, okay, I'm going to take this one benefit and I'm going to get rid of it. And it's going to give me 20 times the usability for my mother, right? Mm. And understanding which one of those trade-offs you can pull out without crumbling the tower and making it easier for my mom to navigate, mm. um, that takes a lot of skill. And I think you only really get that from just years of, of just trying, right? You'll make one thing, you'll realize it doesn't work because of X, Y, and Z. So you want to fix that. And then you go to the next thing. And ultimately, the more contracts you write, the more you'll be able to say, okay, we're going to do it this way because it's the easiest way possible. It's the least amount of gas fees. It's the least transactions, it's mm. the least interactions or whatever. And you do compromise some things, um, but the goal is that it doesn't compromise the core fundamentals. Okay. Um, okay. So, so for the final segment of this interview, I'd like you to put on your tinfoil hat and where do you see the industry will be in five years um, and what one way of answering that is what companies today in crypto will be dead in five years? <laughs> and another way is how do you think people will see crypto or, or will it be invisible or I don't know. You come up with your own answer though. Why why the tinfoil hat? Is this a conspiracy? <laughs> I, I, I don't yeah, I, I yeah, I, I don't know. I, it just it just sounds good. <laughs> okay. Um so I mean look, I'm really optimistic about crypto. I think in five or ten years we're gonna be at a point where uh, Google, Amazon, Facebook, uh, Apple, they're all utilizing crypto in some way, shape, or form. And we're already kind of seeing that now, right? Facebook's been working on it. The Instagram's pulled out their NFT offering. 
Um, Google is working on the cloud infrastructure for blockchains and working with different blockchains. They've been doing that for years. Um, so within five to 10 years, you're going to see massive, you know, the largest corporations in the world, they'll be rolling out different programs within crypto, whether it's Walmart issuing a stable coin. So get this, Walmart makes a lot of sense to issue a stable coin. If Walmart issues a stable coin, and it's just a gift card. That's all it is. It's not a stable coin. It's never marketed as a stable coin, but effectively it's a stable coin, right? It's a gift card. It's redeemable for one to one, right? Walmart dollars. Um, that is a beautiful use case that, that works with their business model. They've always been trying to bank the, the underserved, right? They're always trying to get into the financial industry of, of their, their customers. Um, and so- don't, 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 don't they have that at the moment, by the way? Because here in Europe, we don't have Walmart, so- uh, no, no, no. Well, I don't think Walmart has any. Okay. Right. I think they've got, they've got a few patents around like NFTs in the metaverse. But oh, I don't okay. Think they sure. have anything around uh, financial services uh, that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it, just uh, something I read on Twitter. Someone was like, oh, Walmart should do this. It makes a lot of sense. And it does. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one good example of a multi billion dollar company rolling into NFTs just for their customer base. Mm-hmm. And so if you go to Apple or Starbucks, Starbucks is another great example because they just mm-hmm. announced it. Uh, that program is global mm. so everyone around the world that goes to starbucks which is hundreds of millions if not billions of people are going to be able to have that in their face and what fraction of percent of them actually does it it's still millions of people to get onboarded and so when you start rolling that out to all the companies when you have tesla and ford and bmw and then you have uh, you know walmart and citibank and uh, you know Goldman Sachs and Amazon and Apple, all of these start doing NFT or crypto projects. What we end up seeing is crypto starts being involved in our daily lives more and more. And it's uh, I, I so I'm not in Europe, so I don't know what you guys have in Europe. Uh, what mobile app do you use for finances? Whether it's to send money to a friend or no, they you know, use like Revolut, which is in the UK. Revolut, right? Yeah, right. Revolut. Okay, so I do know Revolut. Um, we have like Venmo in America and then here in Asia, you know, there's a ton of different options that you can realize Asia's way ahead in, in terms of mobile payments. Uh, and it's going to be just like that with crypto in five to 10 years where everyone's got a Venmo, everyone's got a Revolut, everyone has some sort of pay now, pay law, whatever it is in, in Asia. And <clears throat> it'll be the same with crypto where you'll have your, 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 your wallet and that's it. That's like you just—it's just your digital wallet, and you'll have digital goods in there too. Your mm. NFTs, mm. and so I think as for NFTs specifically, as more companies, when Adidas does an NFT, Nike has to follow. If Nike does it, Adidas has to follow. If McDonald's does it, Taco Bell will follow, and then Burger King will follow, right? If Starbucks does it, then Chipotle will follow, and the, the mm. list goes on and on. Mm. When you have this kind of scenario, you just get to a point where there's just global adoption that happens. And I think that that's, that's what we're looking at over the next, to be honest, I think actually it's in the next 18 months to five years. So in 18 months to five years, I think I, I, I would bet a lot of money that within 18 months, we're going to see a, right now there's about 5 million users for NFTs. So within 18 months, I expect that to be 50 million. Oh, wow. So that's a, that's a significant growth, right? That's a 10X of, global nft user base right now is five million people conservatively like that's that's an overestimation the reality is it's probably significantly less maybe two to five or 2.5 to three or four million um but we'll just say five million uh, even at that a 10x is not unfeasible the starbucks alone can bring in 50 million people in the first few months with their program mm. right mm. so it's very much realistic and when you, if you if you have apple amazon Starbucks mm. and all these other massive companies are rolling out NFT programs or, mm. or crypto programs, mm. the number is just going to skyrocket. And what happens to the price? Mm. Well, if everyone needs Ethereum or everyone needs Solana or everyone mm. needs Bitcoin, well, there's a lot of buying pressure, right? And the price goes up. Um, now, in terms of what companies are not going to be around, I think there's a lot of coins and you, I mean, everyone always says this, there's a lot of coins I'm not going to make it. 99.9% of the coins are not going to be around. To be honest, in 10 years, I don't know if Ethereum will be around. 10 years is a very long time. And mm. Ethereum is not even 10 years old, right? Bitcoin has made it 10 years. And is it going to be around another 10 years? I, I, I would say a safe bet Bitcoin will be around in 10 years now. And I would say it's also a very safe bet Ethereum will be around, but you mm. never know, mm. right? You know, Solana might overtake Ethereum and then Ethereum just dies, right? Very yeah. unlikely. I said 95% chance Ethereum's around in 10 years, but you still never know. Um, and so when it comes to other coins, most of them won't be around. Um, 
yeah, most of them will not be around. If you, <laughs> I love this, this, uh, uh, it's not a meme, but it's kind of a joke. If you look at the coin market cap mm. from like 2015 mm. and look at like the top 100 coins and then look at the top 100 coins now, it's just so vastly different. Mm. Um, and in the picture, I remember like feather coin and, and pure coin and, uh, there was like, uh, Litecoin and XRP and XLM and all mm. the, the other ones that you know about now, but there's a lot that, that are not around. Mm. And it's going to be the same way. So if you were to go to the from from two hundred to a thousand, mm. none of those coins are around, right? They're, they're not around at all. So I think there's there's three things here when it comes to what's going to be around. One is an investment. So if you're investing in like an altcoin, uh, that is its own different category than a technology, right? So a technology is is probably going to maintain. If there is a core blockchain technology like Bitcoin or Ethereum. That will be around. That's a very good chance it's going to stay around. But if that technology is not the differentiation, but instead it's the economics or mm. some sort of functionality within that um, that could be easily replicated, that mm. there's there's not a guarantee that that's going to be around. And then when you move into the utility side of it, if you launch a token and the only utility is, is that you can use it at my store for my company, mm. and that's why I did an ICO. It's a medium to a medium of exchange, mm. which we don't need. We don't need a middleman for a middleman. Mm. And those, those will not be around. I can guarantee you that in 10 years, those won't be around, right? Because they're just, there's no purpose to them. Um, and there's no reason for them to maintain their value. Um, and so I, I can't say something like USDT is going to be around in 10 years or USDC is going to be around in 10 years because that is an individual company. And you never know what happens, right? The CEO could be arrested for something or, you know, get hit by a bus or whatever. So there's no way to actually guarantee that's going to be around if there's a, a, a company behind it. Um, but there's a good case to be made that stable coins, the fundamental technology are going to be around in 10 years. Guarantee it, 110%. If there's crypto, there will be stable coins. Whether that's USDT or USDC or Binance USD, I don't know. I can't tell you. But what I can tell you is the core fundamental technology. And so you have these two different things. You have a fundamental technology, you have an investment, um, and then you have a utility, right? And so I, I, if you break these up into these three different categories, you can really spot something and say, like, there's a really high chance this won't be around in 10 years. And that goes back to your convic uh, conviction, right? You got to be, you got to have that conviction of your investment. And if I'm invested in Bitcoin or Ethereum or a stable coin, which I don't know why you would invest in that, but mm. just for the analogy from earlier, these are things that will be around in 10 years, right? Whether or not they've gone up 5X or 5,000X, you know, you won't know, but they will still be around. Okay, so, so do you think that there's a chance though, because the companies like Google and Microsoft will end up maybe owning the wallets and the yeah. tokens will just be like you say, the Starbucks, the Walmarts and... Um, is there also a chance that people won't even know the word crypto in 10 years? It's like today, uh, it's like my father says, oh, I don't care about technology. Don't talk to me about technology. I just want to use my phone. <laughs> he doesn't realize how much technology is in there. Is there a chance that it's like the internet, like no one says, I'm going to send you a message over TCP IP. Instead, right, you know, exactly. they, they, I mean, they just say, I'm going to send you an email. Yeah. Is there a chance right. people won't mention crypto? Yeah, I mean, 100%. So do you know how a check clears from one bank to another? Yeah, right. Like most people It's complex. Know, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. You don't know the, the exact details, but you yeah. understand the, the fundamentals, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, now, how does Revolt do it when I transfer your money? How do they process that? Do you know? No. You don't. Exactly. No. But you use it, right? Yeah. So it's going to be the same way, right? You're going to have an app that has your crypto and you're going to use it, whether it's an NFT that you scanned mm. at you know, Starbucks when you got your coffee, mm. or whether you just made a little payment for that coffee or to your friend, whether that's the Google wallet and your options is you know USD, mm. uh, Euro, or USDC, mm. you, you don't care. You just say, oh, well, I've got you know Euros. I've got USDC. I'm going to send you some USDC or whatever. Um, it's just dollars. And that's effectively, actually, you might not even see USDC. Google might use USDC to settle the, the transfer but you actually get USD or euros or whatever it may be, right? And the thing is, is that will be here and people will be interacting with that and they won't know it. Just as you said, no one says, I'm going to send you a message via TCP and IP or whatever. They literally, I'm just going to send you an email. Or I'm going to send you a text or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. 
it'll be the same with crypto and NFTs. And that is the definition of adoption. The definition mm-hmm. of adoption is when you get people that are using something that they don't understand it, right? Um, and it's a mass uh, mm-hmm. influx of people that are utilizing the technology that they don't understand. Um, and that's that's how you get global adoption. No mm-hmm. one understands you know, how our electrical grid works, but we all use electricity. And we'll see the same with uh, with crypto. Now, to your question of whether or not Google is controlling like everything and it's just Walmart with the tokens and Adidas with the tokens, that that sounds very feasible because you know, Google, right? That's what Google would do. And uh, if I was running Google, that's what I would want to do as well, right? Mm-hmm. The more control you can get, the more profit you can make. Uh, so there's a very high chance that that will happen. Um, whether or not that becomes the de facto standard, don't know, right? There was the social media that Google made. What was that called? <laughs> See, that's the problem. No one used it, right? And it never went. Wait, wait, was it Waze? I can't remember. I can't. <laughs> no, I don't know. No, it was the social media that Google Oh, made. yeah, like, to, to rival Facebook. Uh, no hang out. Exactly. We can't. Yeah. yeah. There's no one used it, right? And so they yeah. did fail. And they tried yeah. to make something as like the standard and into corner of the market and become the number one social media and no one used it was it google plus no, yeah google, google plus google yeah was google it? plus yeah google plus google yeah. now i gotta google that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but anyway so we uh, it was yeah google plus oh wow i think there right. might be a difference here though because i i see that google has uh, a path forward here because through chrome they can just basically integrate metamask and they could right they well they would have to buy metamask right because they can't just de facto integrate it because it's another company but it's google of course they can buy metamask right i mean metamask is owned by consensus but consensus Mm. would sell to google in a heartbeat Mm. um and so it's very feasible and it's very likely that google and apple i mean facebook was already trying to do it right they're trying to make their stable coin Mm. that was you know the governments were threatened that it would destabilize the u.s dollar mm. um and rightfully so because it's facebook they've got mm. so many users if they roll out a payment solution mm. no one's going to use revolt they would use uh dm that was the name right it was dm yeah or libra yeah. or something yeah oh yeah they changed it to libra yeah that's right I mean, they dropped the project but whatever uh, but the point is is yes i think it will happen it most definitely will happen and whether or not it's successful i don't know but it will happen and we will see uh, Apple and Google and Amazon all try to corner a specific part of crypto in the future. Um, and hopefully they do good, right? Hopefully they actually do corner the market and they provide a very good product mm-hmm. and service. And that fixes that MetaMask issue with my mom, right? If Amazon mm-hmm. has a wallet that they put out to the entire world, it's probably going to be a pretty decent wallet that my mom can use, right? And so that's good for crypto. It's not good for you know people that have wallets that are that is a business because they're going to get destroyed. but <laughs> yeah, the general populace. So yeah, yeah. I, th- I think in the future, like stable coins, they won't be called stable coins anymore. They'll just be called no. a dollar. And um, yeah, yeah I, I think I think that's that, that's a, a lot of interesting points there about what the companies are going to do. I mean, yeah. So I think Google will have the wallet. Uh, Amazon will have what will Amazon have? Um, well, they don't care. They just want to sell stuff. Amazon is huge. See, they've got like 200 companies in their portfolio from everything, uh, from like healthcare to groceries to music to videos to mm-hmm. cloud infrastructure. So it's anyone's guess what Amazon does. Amazon could be an NFT marketplace tomorrow, or they could be the largest cloud provider and custodian provider mm-hmm. for funds. It's just, you know, it's whatever Amazon decides to do. Um, so it's really hard to predict those individual movements but it, i i would put a lot of money that amazon and google and apple will have a corner in the crypto market within five to ten years i think they're working on it and at the end of the day it will be good for adoption of nfts and ip because nfts and i uh, nfts are, are the and uh, say ethereum and different blockchains are the backbone of it all um it's funny because if you look back at 1990s ip addresses were almost free of charge and now they're worth what hundreds of billions in total. Are they really? At least so tens of at least tens of billions. If you want to buy wow. a block, it's. I think Amazon itself owns like two to four billion dollars of IP addresses. I think. I'd have wow. to. We'd have to. I'd have to check that. But I think that's kind of where crypto is. It's like when like when people aren't talking about the actual underlying technology, that's when it's going to be worth the most. You know. 
Uh, you just gave me a thought. What if in the future, smart contracts and space on Ethereum is like IP addresses? Now anyone can deploy a smart contract because there's all this space on Ethereum. Hmm. And in the future, in five years, there's no space left. And so now to make a smart contract, you've got to pay tens of thousands or millions of dollars to have your code on this global computer. <laughs> That's yeah, but that happened. That happened, didn't it? Like when it I think could, when they yeah. were making Hugo Labs, uh, what was it, Board Monkeys or something? Um, yeah. I can't remember what, what it's it? called. Yeah. Board your eight yeah, club. I know you're about. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I think someone paid forty. Was it forty thousand dollars for an Ethereum transaction or something? Something yeah. silly. So, mm-hmm. but that just pushes everything into side chains. I mean, that's another interesting thing because Ethereum might not even get as fast as Solana for another ten years. It could be a long process. Yeah, I mean, that's that's absolutely true. Um, the downside is Ethereum doesn't get turned off when it wants to. Solana does, right? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can process a lot of transactions, but the downside is it's basically a centralized, you know, uh, solution. And look, I I have no problem with centralization um, in terms of utility. If I mm. if I want to go play a video game and it's on Solana, I don't care if it's centralized, right? Mm. But if I'm going to make an investment for 10 years, then I'll start evaluating does decentralization matter, decentralization matter, right? And that is very different from making a six-month trade of an investment, right? If I'm investing for six months, I just think it's going to you know pump in the next six months because okay. it's news. That's very different, right? Uh, yeah, that, that would be crazy though. Okay. Uh, if in the future we had to pay all that money. Okay, I know. I know we're running on time. Uh, end of time soon. So, um, where can people find you? If you could spell it out for audio listeners, and then also just tell us what sort of companies should approach uh, Mintable and Mintology if they need to do business with you. Yeah, you can find us on Twitter at Mintable underscore app. On Instagram is Mintable underscore app. Uh, you can find myself on Twitter as Zach Spaded. So Z A C H S P A D E D. On Twitter, that's my personal Twitter. Um, of course, you can join our Discord as well, and you can go to mintable.com or you can go to mintology.app. So, if you're a company and you want to use NFTs, whether you're a bank, whether you're a manufacturer of goods, whether you're a farm or you're a consumer good or a fashion brand, you can utilize NFTs today. You can pay with your credit card to get set up. And if you have developers, your developers can easily integrate it into a video game or your website or your mobile app. And if you don't have developers, we have a very easy to use dashboard where you can have your own website created to sell your NFTs as a project and do generative NFTs, accept credit card payments for NFTs, and it's all on Ethereum, or you can use uh, IMX, which is a layer two that we support. Um, and that is for corporations or brands that want to take hold of their NFT strategy or want to launch an NFT strategy. Mintable is just for the consumers. If you want to trade NFTs, if you're going to get any NFTs, you can go to Mintable. You can check them out. If you want to create your first NFT or if you want to play around with NFTs, you go to Mintable.com. So that's a little bit about us. Okay, thanks. So I'll um, so thanks for your time. <laughs>